Welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life-changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. Those of you of a certain age may recall New Coke. Remember? It's when they took the old beloved Coke, you know, the one with the secret recipe, and they gave us New Coke, claiming it was better. You may also recall, it was not. The public was outraged. It took Coca-Cola Bottling Company less than three months to bring back the original formula and pull New Coke off the market. That is, most markets. Here in Yap, one of the federated states of Micronesia, we still have vending machines full of New Coke. They're full because nobody drinks that crap. Can you blame us? I haven't had a real Coke since 1985. This is a call to arms. Call Coca-Cola. Write your congressman. Take to the streets if necessary. Demand carbonated beverage equality for all. This has been a public service announcement from the Yappian Consulate, striving for old Coke and a new Yap. Member FFSMYC. Welcome back to Jello Wars. I'm Uncle Bob, and it's camp time. Speaking of camp, it's one of my favorite topics. The other topic being kids with cancer. Now, some people find it sad that I like talking about kids with cancer. But that's okay. They can find it sad if they like. But they obviously don't know the same kids I do. These kids have been my mentors for coming on three decades. And they grow up to be the most amazing adults you could ever know. Just one word of warning, though. Never. Never, 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 ever make a dare with a kid who's been through cancer. Seriously, they're not afraid of anything. And for good reason. Consider yourself warned. Now let's get back to Jello Wars. Ladybug Salon The kids arrived pretty much on time. We had lunch. And we've gotten most of the correct luggage paired with the correct campers and hauled off to the correct cabins. Pretty smooth start. There's just this random Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle pillow yet to be claimed. And a hot tip tells me it belongs to Sarah in the butterfly cabin. 
Unfortunately, to deliver the pillow, I'll need to walk past the ladybug cabin. This concerns me, as it can be hazardous. But the crime-fighting pillow needs to find its home. I rush my steps as I approach, but a tiny voice calls out from the porch. Uncle Bob, come up here! My suspicions are on high alert. After all, this is the ladybug cabin. What do you need? I call back. I just need you to come up here. I can hear you from down here. No, you have to come up on the porch. I have something to show you. Can this be? The kids have just arrived at camp. They haven't had time. Right? I sense that this is a trap. The reason I know it's a trap is because I've fallen for it before. But ladybugs are cunning and cute and smarter than me. So I approach. As soon as my first foot hits the porch, I'm escorted to a picnic table by a gaggle of eight- and nine-year-old girls. On the table sits an array of brightly colored bottles, numbering the thousands. It's nail polish in every known color, plus some previously unknown colors. There's colors that might not actually even be colors. I'm told to pick one, and I do as I'm told. Another hapless victim of the Ladybug Salon. The hours of operation are posted on the wall. However, they seem to be perpetually open for business. They're slyly aggressive at bringing in clientele, and picking one color is never enough. After Brittany has hastily applied hot fuchsia polish to my left pinky, cuticle, and halfway over the knuckle, she says, Pick another! Samantha sits across from me. This is her first time at camp, and she wears a pink scarf wrapped around her bald head. The chemo cut. I give the scarf about 24 hours before it's discarded completely. Baldness is not something you need to hide at camp. How long have you been an anesthetician? I ask Samantha. Oh, I'm not that. I paint nails. Like an astronaut? I ask. No, like my Aunt Sherry. Your Aunt Sherry is an astronaut? How cool is that? Hold still, she warns, or I'll make it hurt. Outside of emotional trauma, I'm not sure how having your nails painted can hurt, but I hold still just the same. I opt for green, then blue, then some kind of impossible cross between pink and yellow. And sparkles. There's plenty of sparkles, and I don't even have to request them. Plus, I find that someone's come up with a clear lacquer to give their creations a permanence rivaling superglue. How do you like them? the girls ask in unison. I pause to inspect their work. My nails look like a victim of a Crayola factory explosion. I'm confident there were no survivors. Again they prod. How do you like them? I love them, I assure the porch full of tiny beauticians. As I rise from the table, Lisette asks, How will you be paying for this? Do you take credit cards? No, she says without a pause, but I'll take your name tag. Ah, that old trick. But I'm too wise. How about I put it on James's account? Okay. I sign something stating James is good for the debt, and, being its imaginary currency, I tip heavily. 
Come back later, Samantha instructs me. I'll make them better. Tomorrow? No, after dinner. What the girls lack in precision, they make up for in time. It took only five minutes for them to paint all of my nails and most of my knuckles. I exit the porch, pillow under my arm, blowing on my still wet nails and vowing not to fall for it again. Not until after dinner. I deliver the errant Teenage Mutant Ninja pillow to the Dragonfly camper and cut through the forest behind the cabins to avoid the ladybugs. Back at the spider cabin, my boys tell me we need to talk. They sit me down, concerned looks on their faces. You let them paint your nails? That's what girls do. Yes, but they're very persuasive. Plus, they look pretty awesome, don't you think? The boys rib me with a few deserved taunts, and then the real Q&A begins. Did it hurt? Not much. Was it scary? Yes. Would you do it again? Sooner than I'd like. The questioning ends when one brave spider says, I'm gonna do it! I walk him and four observers over to the ladybug salon, and I remain at a safe distance. Ten minutes later, all five boys sport wickedly colorful nails. And, ten minutes after that, the rest of the spider cabin is under the spell of the ladybug salon. That night, well after the cabin is sleeping, I walk over to the bathhouse to brush my teeth. Out of the darkness, I hear, Uncle Bob, come up here! Ponies, Bulls, and Pachyderms My father used to train horses. As a child, I remember him telling us about ground tying. That's when you train a horse that any time you dangle his lead to the ground in front of him, he'll stay put as if he was tied to a post. I always found this puzzling. Horses are smart. Certainly they don't believe that they're securely tied to a post when their lead just dangles to the ground in front of them. Do they? My theory is that they don't honestly believe they're tied. They know the truth, but remain still because they'll be reprimanded if they move. Makes sense. I used to ride bulls. Now I'm no cowboy, but I've never felt more alive than when getting safely over the fence with a 2,000-pound pissed-off, bucking-snorting, snot-slinging beast with pointy horns right behind me. I had the good fortune of learning the sport from Charles Sampson. He's a world champion bull rider and a great guy. My first time in the chute... Charlie gave me two bits of advice. First, he said, Spur him hard, Bobby. He'll buck higher. Then he laughed and added, And bear down. Prior to resining up my glove, straddling that first beast, and tying myself in, Charlie had told me to be sure to get off as soon as the eight-second horn sounded. He said, Otherwise, you'll break his spirit. I responded with a nervous laugh but later admired his respect for what, at the time, I considered to be the opponent. A bull ride is judged not only on the cowboy, but on the bull. The score of a good ride on a mild bull will only be mediocre. Professional bull riders respect the animals they ride, 
and hope the critter's at its bucking best. Me, I just hope to live long enough to attend the rodeo dance. I didn't complete that first eight-second ride. My cranium was introduced to the arena dirt just as the horn sounded. But I did make it to the dance. I felt invincible. But it didn't much help my dancing. Years later, I had the opportunity to ride an elephant through the gates of an ancient temple in northern Cambodia. My friend Carrie and I sat in the regal seat, high atop the animal's back, while the trainer straddled its neck, barefoot, tickling the elephant under the ears for guidance. The 12,000-pound pachyderm was impressively obedient, causing me to inquire further. Much like humans, elephants are considered immature until around 18 years of age. After that, they're put to work pulling loads, toting people, logs, and other things until about the age of 60, when they retire, move to Florida, sip lemonade, and play shuffleboard. This sounds pretty good, but then I heard how they train the elephants. They chain a young elephant to a post and let it fight against the chain. And fight it does. But after a period of time, hours, days, weeks, the animal's too tired to fight and gives up. They break its spirit and force it to be submissive to its owner. After that, they can tie the animal with a light rope, which it could easily break. But it doesn't. It's as if it were chained. It's kind of sad, but not so different from our own lives. My oldest brother undertook a science fair project where he had two identical houseplants and kept them in identical conditions, except that every day he'd sequester them in separate rooms for a half hour. One of the plants he'd sing to, sweet talk, and shower with praise. The other plant he'd holler at, cuss out, and call a pathetic excuse for vegetation. I got to help out, and I'd like to think I did a good job. But actually, after cussing out the second plant for a half hour, I'd apologize and ask its forgiveness. I don't recall how my brother's experiment ended, but I'm pretty sure I skewed the data. Years later, I heard that when natives in the Solomon Islands needed to cut down a tree that was too large to be felled with an axe, they yelled at it. Seriously, woodsmen crept up on a tree and screamed at it. They claimed that yelling kills the tree's spirit, and after 30 days of yelling, it falls over dead. I wonder how often we do this to our children, to ourselves. When I was 15, I joined the high school boys' chorus. It was a small school where anyone with a Y chromosome could join the boys' chorus. But to be in the mixed chorus, you had to have at least a modicum of talent. I tried. I even signed up for voice lessons. It was lesson number one when my instructor pulled out some blank sheet music. He penciled in a big dot at the bottom line of the bass clef and said, See that? That's a G note. Okay. He went on to say that I could hit that note. Better yet, he said I could not only hit that note, I could consistently nail it with power and resonance. Sweet. 
I immediately began compiling a list of names for the rock band I'd soon front. Broken Asphalt, Rabid Tomato, Monkey Rodeo. So much needed to be done. I had some stellar concepts for our first music video, but didn't yet have a song, or a band, or even leather pants. My free-roaming mind was abruptly interrupted by reality and the instructor's voice. After telling me I could hit that note, he went on to say that it was the only note I could hit. I couldn't hit the note above it, nor the note below it. I literally had a one-note range. The instructor informed me in no uncertain terms that I would not be in the mixed chorus, nor be a singer of any type. Ever. That was a blow. So went my dreams of rock and roll stardom. It wasn't until years later, when I was thinking about ponies and bulls and elephants and trees, that it occurred to me just what had been taken. My dream of singing in a rock band. My confidence. My spirit. Sure, my unsuccessful foray into rock stardom is inconsequential. However, a lot of years have passed, and I still carry it with me. I don't think of it daily, and it certainly doesn't keep me up at night, but it's still with me. Petty, but real. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can also hurt you. We need to choose our words wisely. At school, at camp, at home. Our words have the power to lift a child up and mold them into a triumphant adult. Or they can contort them into a horse tied to nothing, a bull ridden too long, a scolded tree, an elephant rid of power, a child robbed of dreams. Speak well. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you, too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W-A-L-L-A-S-S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. Podcast theme music by M-Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road.